Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. Legs Malone here, wishing you all a beautiful springtime hello and how are you. Hope you guys are all doing great. I am really, really excited to bring this particular episode to you. I met up with the fabulous Tangerine Jones, who is a burlesque performer and self-professed nerd about all things intelligent and well-spoken. This is a very timely episode, as I feel there are a lot of issues that we touch on in this particular uh, conversation that have been bandied about the burlesque community and our general uh, popular culture at large. Those topics uh, in particular being race and racism and uh, cultural appropriation and what is uh, appropriate to address on stage and not. It is an interview that had me thinking about it for many, many, many days afterwards, and I'm actually looking forward to being able to listen to it again in its entirety because we really touch on a lot of stuff, and it definitely goes to say that Tangerine and I got into, you know, very um, full discussion about it, as you will hear momentarily, and we both afterwards were like, oh, I could have said this better, I could have said that better. So I definitely welcome any and all of your responses. If you have anything you want to share or any questions you want to ask, not only can you connect with both myself and Tangerine on Facebook, but you can also email us here at lunchwithlegs at lunchwithlegs at gmail.com, and I will happily address and answer any of your questions as I can uh, on our next episode. So thank you all for tuning in. Just a quick note before we dive on into our longest interview yet. Uh, it turns out our Amazon portal was not working, so that is no longer uh, a way for you to donate to the Lunch with Legs podcast, which is both saddening and completely liberating at the same time because that was very tricky to understand and, I guess, for as much as I thought it was working, it wasn't. So for anybody who used that link to buy stuff off of Amazon, I hope you're enjoying your stuff. <laughs> and uh, for uh, everyone who wants to give and donate to the podcast, you can still do so uh, at our website, lunchwithlegs.com. Click on the PayPal button, and uh, you can leave us a donation of any amount that you want. I'm very excited to say that we have had some stickers printed up and uh, are very happy to send them along as thanks to you and thanks to all of you who give to this beloved pet project of mine and Dave's. So thank you. Without further ado, I welcome you to one of the juiciest interviews yet with plenty, plenty of food for thought. Please welcome to the Lunch with Legs podcast, the wonderful Tangerine Jones. Tangerine Jones, what a pleasure to have you on the Lunch with Legs podcast today. How are you? I'm amazing. It's good to be here with you. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming today. I... In a lot of ways, this is actually one of the first times where I have actually had lunch, like a physical, lovely lunch with the person I'm interviewing, um, because this podcast is about lunch for your ears and your mind, um, as well as for your tummy, too. 
Um, and we had so many excellent discussions over lunch. And there's part of me that's like, oh, could have, sh- should have, would have been recording. But at the same time, I feel like we've, we've, we've stoked a couple of conversational fires that I'm really looking forward to bringing um, to today's episode. So Indeed. I'm so glad I could be a first for you in that regard. I mean, Absolutely. honestly, in listening to the podcast, I thought that you did have lunch with other people. I thought that was like part of the thing. I mean, it was initially part of the thing, okay. and I was like, oh, yeah, we'll have an interview, and then I'll make something special, and I'll talk about the recipe, and that just never happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New York. New York. Yay, New York. Um, but, I, I mean, there have been – I have had snacks and tea before, but this was proper – the way the way it should be. Should we make them jealous? Should we tell them what we ate? Yes, I think we should. Um, made it was all vegetarian, um, sautéed. It was thank you so much. Um, sautéed onions and garlic and carrots and zucchini and broccoli and red. I'm sorry, yellow and orange peppers with uh, jasmine rice and a goat cheese and dried cherry, uh, a cranberry salad with balsamic vinaigrette, and then Tangerine brought over the most incredible pineapple. Because I'm all about the succulents. Oh, my God. Well, you're going to be hearing some succulent noises, <laughs> dear sweet listeners. Yeah, because we're going to eat pineapple <laughs> in your ear. <laughs> we'll be sure to chew right into the microphone, just, you know, because I know you guys are really going to love hearing yeah, that. Yeah, that would make it a little bit pornographic. <laughs> it, could, it, could get, it could get interesting. I, I feel very strongly about pineapple and juicy fruit. Well, God bless it. Um, I mean, and they are delicious. They are. So we were just having a very animated discussion about fruit in summer and peaches from Georgia, oh things like that. Georgia peaches. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a Virginian by way of Delaware and Miami. Um, so I consider myself a what a Southern Yankee, I guess. Oh. Um, you know, because both places and then New York always felt like home, and I've been in New York long enough that it it definitely is home. But the Southern part definitely stays. Um, and Absolutely. especially when it comes to things like fruit in summertime, because I feel like nobody does it up uh, like people in the South. No way. Well, we also don't have, pardon me while I have a piece of pineapple in my mouth, we also don't have the same soil, the heat, you know, the, the length of the summers um, in the sun. We, don't, we just don't have it. Well, no, summer is a way of life. That was one of the things that was uh, hard about adjusting here after living in Virginia for so long, especially southern Virginia, where I'm from, um, was dealing with snow. I don't believe in snow. It's against my religion. <laughs> Boy, did you pick a city to move to. Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with New York in the summertime. Like, me and New York, uh, you know, developed our love affair both from a distance and then when it was like an actual tactile experience. It was in the summertime when... Um, they had their best foot forward. <laughs> I mean, even with the stinky garbage smell, like New York in the summertime is a magical place. Yes, it is. And especially now, I mean, this has been a very temperamental spring. Um, all due respect to the weather gods. Um, I know they're doing their job. They've been drinking. They've been, they've been <laughs> They have been on the sauce, because I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> it has been the most cloudy, rainy, like, changeable springtime I remember ever having. And I'm from here. Like, yeah. It's, it, it, yeah, it's strange. I'm like, wait, I, I want to wear a skirt outside and not, you know, have to worry about bringing a pair of leggings in my bag because I'm going to get cold or just giving up and wearing pants. I'm, t- I'm done with the pants. Me too. Well, and it's like fall. Skirts and dresses. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's like fall. It hasn't really been spring. Didn't it snow in April? You know, like the Prince song? 
I think it did. It may have. I think it might have. I'm I'm just confused on a seasonal <laughs> level at this point. We all are. It's it's yeah. It's been a very unusual, very unusual spring. I hope we have a good summer. I hope so too. I hope it's not as rainforest um, oh, muggy Jesus as they're Christ. they're predicting. I I hope it somehow you know turns to perfect beach weather and we can spend time out at Reese Beach. You know, mm. sunbathing and all that. I'm I'm staying optimistic. I you know what I'm gonna stay there with you. Club optimism. Right? Let's do it. You know, if not, I'm getting on a plane. <laughs> like, I'm going somewhere where there's tropical coconut oil and naked if if New York can't if do it. Maybe. Well, deliver. I mean, I have to say I'm very thankful for JetBlue because oh, they fly so many tropical places for very affordable rates. I mean, who the fuck knows how much a hotel in that tropical place is going to cost. But the tickets are cheap if you buy them far enough in advance. So. See, that's why you got to make friends with people who live in these places so Agreed. you can go and stay in Agreed. I have like three room. friends who live in Bermuda. And I'm Ooh. like, can I come stay? So, yeah, you got to work that out. <laughs> Bring gifts. Yeah. Bring pineapples. Well, I mean, I guess that wouldn't work. <laughs> Bring whatever the equivalent of bringing, you know, a pineapple to a Bring place that doesn't like have pineapple bagels. New York bagels. Like bagels they don't have. are currency. I keep forgetting that. They're bagels food currency. Bagels are total currency. Yeah. And a- apparently, Zabar's, um, I love that we're talking about, like, everything apart from what we were planning on <laughs> We'll get um, there. Zabar's does a thing for, it's like, homesick New Yorkers or just people who want this. They will slice and freeze a dozen bagels and ship them overnight with, like, a whole big things of cream cheese. You're joking. And it's like, boom. Like, Merry Christmas slash Happy Birthday slash It's Wednesday. You know, like, whatever. See, I think that's, like, what, like, care packages and coping mechanisms for people who who are, like, New Yorkers <laughs> who've left. They're like, we'll send this to you so you can have a little bit of, you know, this city that it's is so close to your heart. It's always the bagels. It's always... And now that papaya dog's closed, you know, you can't do that anymore. Not that I... I mean, I haven't eaten a papaya dog since I was, like, nine, maybe. Well, no, a little older than that. Maybe, like, 13, wow. 14. Um, because then I became a vegetarian. And right. it was like, hot dogs are all lips and assholes. <laughs> and my brother would be like, delicious lips and assholes. <laughs> With mustard and ketchup <laughs> and sauerkraut. And sautéed onions. All of that. But, yeah, I like the food aspect that we're talking about right yeah, now. I, I love food. You know, I'm a fat girl. Like, you know, I'm not going to apologize <laughs> for any of it. I like to eat. Um, I like to cook. Uh, I like to spend time. I like to commune with people and, like, you know, get them at the table and, and feed them. I mean, I think, I think that's, like, just the southern part and also, like, you know, being in my body and being present in that regard, you know. Yeah. Like, I think food is a great way to, like, like nourish community and, and spirit. Like, we come together, we have meals, and we look each other in the face. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And talk about things that right? are not separated by a screen and a keyboard. Word. Like, that's a big thing. Um, that's a big thing about my life. When I first moved here to New York, um, one of the things that I noticed very quickly was that people wouldn't necessarily, like, when you go to parties, like, people don't connect here um, on a cultural level in the same way that, you know, they do down south, where there's a certain amount of welcoming to some extent when you go to a party. Like, there's a lot of, like, siloing here, you know, at parties. And um, I realized that the what you do, like, who do, you know, who are you, what do you do question was, like, one of those ways of, like, sort of, like, socially ranking people in order yeah. to figure out whether or not you should give them your time or effort. Um, so I started throwing parties out of my house um, that were these brunches that basically made people leave all that, you know, pretension at the door. 
God bless it, man. <laughs> and get together and actually like you know network and collaborate and create and I feel the urge lately to like sort of like reproduce that in some way like people coming together and you know looking at each other like in the face especially with technology and I mean, I think with the the hustle, you were talking about that, like, you know, being so, like, in our, like, I have to live, I have to, like, do the thing that I want to do, and sometimes we are very internal and not external. Yeah. And I feel like right now, even with all this uh, supposed connection that we have through digital means, I think it's really Oh, which is a complete farce. It is, like, the anti-connection. But it isn't, it isn't. (laughs) Agreed, agreed, agreed. We say that, you know, you and I are, like, extroverted people, Mm -hmm. you know, um... I think it's much different for people who, like, this part is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I feel like it lets them say what is going on with them in ways and connect to, to people and build friendships in ways that yeah. are foreign, I think, to us. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I get so jaded and turned off by, you know, so much of it where people, you know, where they feel like a friendship is more than just clicking like on a Right. It, you know, about like picking up the phone right and being like hey how are you but then like i i know i have this to an extent and there are a lot of people that have this they don't pick up the phone anymore yeah. it's like you if you want to talk to somebody you have to text them or you have to email them but the actual speaking thing i don't know if it's like a fear of confrontation or you know somewhere deep in them like a thought of like fucking up right but it's it's amazing i find myself like the phone rings like nope i don't want to pick it up and especially if it's an unknown number, fine. Uh, but for the other, like, you know, someone calling, and it's like, I have to pick up this phone, and it's like, well, can't they just text? And it's like, I know some people who are, I, I don't understand why they even have voicemail, because they just never pick up the phone. Like, I don't know how they get along in life. Right. You know, because it's like, sometimes you literally do have to pick up the phone and have a conversation. Well, and is that an age thing? Because it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, because I like to talk and I like to communicate. Like, I'm all about all those things. Granted, I am, I do, like, walk away from the computer because I do, I use it a lot for work. So sometimes I'm like, all right, radio silence. Come find yeah. me if you can, you know. Um, but I also feel like generally, generationally, you know, we were raised to pick up the phone because you might miss something, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, remember when... <laughs> I remember before answering machines. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember when they were invented. And right. I remember us getting one yeah. and my mom being like, okay, how does this work again? Right. And and we thought it was something because, you like, I remember because uh, I had a phone in my room, um, yeah, as a teenager. Did you have your own line? I did. <gasps> um, I did nefarious, nefarious things with that. Um, oh, my God. Like, me and <laughs> me and a friend would switch the, uh, see, this goes back to technology, like, with answering machines, you know how they, you had the ones where you could, like, call it in and check your messages yes. remotely, you know, using the touch tone to, like, set off, like, whatever your password was so you could listen to your voicemail. Um, me and my friends would plot, basically, to go and, like, meet other friends in other states and go to concerts and all these things that we weren't supposed to be doing at our age um, by switching the tapes in our rooms with the ones from our parents, right? Like, we'd get our parents to let us record the ones for the house phone, and then we'd switch the ones with our parents' voices on it. And then we would check back in. We would give that to our parents, that phone number to our parents, because, you know, they didn't know that we each had phones in our rooms. And so when our parents would call to check in, we'd call and then, like, have somebody else pretend to be, you know, the parent. I know, we were were bad. It was awesome. Wow. You know, but, I mean, but that's also how, like, I got to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers in North Carolina, 
<laughs> you know, for Lollapalooza. And I'm dating myself right now. Um, wow. You know, when I wasn't supposed to be even leaving the city. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. I think kids, no matter the technology or developments, are always going to find a way to, like, you know run out in the night to like great parties yeah I think that's one of those timeless things it's just how it gets gone about now well I mean you get found out now like oh my god I mean that's the thing I'm like whoever if I feel like if I had a kid and they got away with like pulling a scam like that um that they really did some artfulness to do that because like now you know someone could rat you out you know just because they took a picture of the concert you know like you get spotted so anybody who sneaks out and sneaks to another state to go you know, seek adventure at this point, you know, when they're like underage is just a genius, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, I was raised like hyper religious and wasn't allowed to like even do any of these things. So like technology enabled me to, to have my freedom and explore culture and be the freak that you see now. God bless it. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Oh <laughs> like, you know, like yay for like rebellion and revolution. Oh, they're so necessary. They're so necessary. And, I mean, speaking to your rebellious and revolutionary energies that you house uh, in your mind and in your beautiful body, I would love for us to... One of the things that I really enjoy about knowing you and being your friend on Facebook, which is equally vilified and celebrated, that's fine, um, is how you will speak your mind. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, especially around subjects of race, of cultural appropriation, of just discussion-based stuff, you know, having dialogues and conversations. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, it's – there's so – some of these things, yeah, they're really uncomfortable to talk about, and a lot of white people will not right. talk about them because, you know, for a range of issues, I won't talk about them because I'm – it's not that I won't talk about them, but I, will, I will, won't ever, like, spearhead a discussion about it because I am terrified that I am going to be made wrong somehow or be told that I am, you know, I'm white and I'm full of privilege and, like, I don't know shit. And it's right. like, I, that's the last place that I would want to go with that discussion because, I mean, yeah, I don't know a lot of stuff. And I think right now there's an amazing groundswell of opening up of mm. people, you know, especially African Americans, but you know, other races and cultures in America. I wish the Native Americans could and would. Well, they do. Um, they do, but <laughs> I are given more. I, I, I mean, well, yeah. It's all about mainstreaming um, the conversation, and you have to understand um, that with the perpetuation of institutionalized, you know, oppression and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are channels of myth-making, and we sort of had this conversation when we were eating, um, that it's about the myth of uh, America and what... Well, I mean, like, it's about the myth of a lot. Mm. <laughs> well, it's about the myth of white supremacy, but speaking to the American experience, it's about the myth of, you know, what was really created here. Um, dealing with, yeah, dealing with the mythology of what was really created here in juxtaposition um, with uh, what actually happened and I think that we're at an interesting time because you have these voices that have been speaking for, you know, hundreds of years, actually with the Internet being a point where they're actually heard and seen. And it's not just like you being told that your nuts are oversensitive. I mean, you hear that as a person of color on a regular basis, that you're being oversensitive or you're crazy or you're just pissed off or whatever. But 
there's like all this information that people don't know and the internet gives like credence to things that were previously dismissed Mm -hmm. that was always there but you know the channels were set up in order to give validity to a certain point of view i mean with something as simple as like burlesque or fashion like let's just go with that because there's you know like i think this is like one our area of expertise but also um you know a good example like have you heard of this blog called of another fashion Mm -mm. it's run by this um I think she's an archivist, and uh, it is basically a repository of people's family pictures of the women in their family, you know, women of color, um, you know, throughout its vintage, you know, pictures of of these women uh, in their finest, and also some of them that were designers and all sorts of stuff. Um, It basically just you know, donated and given to this woman who curates it on Tumblr, um, who's creating just basically visibility to show that we were present and that we were expressive in these ways and making stuff and that we were there, you Mm -hmm. know, because I mean, it's, it's just sort of fascinating when people are always talking about the first person who's done something when they weren't really the first, they were just the first to be acknowledged by white people. I mean, Josephine Baker is a perfect example. Mm. Um, Because I mean, she was a superstar because she fed into the stereotype that had been created, you know, like with her banana dancing and everything else. And I mean, not to distract from her talent and who she was and how she was a survivor. Um, but she also like, wasn't the best of her time. Um, she wasn't the most interesting, but she is the one whose myth is intact, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like that part is, you know, is part of the conversation is about visibility. And there's a lot of stuff that white people are ignorant about. There's a lot of stuff that Pac people don't know about their own history because of the way that it happened. Um, Pac being people of color? Yeah, people of color, yeah. I mean, I, I tend to abbreviate, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I just want to make sure our listeners um, know. You know, and I think that when it comes to iconography and myth-making and, like, what survives, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to our fantasies and, and how we sort of um, create these myths in order to aspire um you know, to who we want to become, um, we really have to think about how that sort of, like, impacts us and how, um, you know, how that shapes our evolution. And when you're basically omitted and sort of, like, inferred that nothing that you offer is of quality, you know, or what you have to offer is just to be someone's, you know, sort of, like, rancid amusement, like, that is problematic. And I think the conversations that you're hearing nowadays... um, once again, are ones that we always had within the comfort of, you know, people of color space. Um, but now white people are hearing them and no one's apologizing for it. Mm. Um, and it's not just like, it's not just one lone person or one lone group of people. Cause I think that's what happened historically in the past is like, you'd have these people who were like, you know, either political people or brave entertainers or whatever, who would be, you know, the dissenting voice. Um, but they were also silenced. And I feel like the internet is, like, not only giving voice to their legacies, um, but also, you know, giving root to the next generation. And, I mean, you see a lot of this conflict, like, you know, like, right now with the whole, like, RuPaul drag race response to, you know, tranny, which I feel like I really can't speak to, you know, both as a cis woman, you know, and a woman who is, you know, like, mostly straight. Um, Like, I feel like that conversation is one for cousins to have, but, like, me seeing the disconnect and sensitivity around that, um, you know, and then like watching the whole thing with Colbert um, unravel, you know, uh, with the the Asian, um, I forgot what happened. Um, oh, I don't think I know this. 
Well, with Stephen Colbert, because there was the the cancel Colbert thing, um, having people you know be like, oh, you know, this person's being you know um, oversensitive or whatever. But I feel like the girl who made the response, um, it was poorly executed from an activist mm. point, but it was also like she's a product of her generation and the way her generation um, protests. And I think that there was validity in her using the opportunity to be like, think about what the hell you're doing. You know, and even if you are being like completely satirical, you know, um, there are still parts where you can fuck up. Yeah. You know, and... Um, it was really interesting because, like, I think that, you know, performers in general get, like, caught up, especially ones that have been pioneers or people who are doing, like, the job of, like, speaking what truth they know as well as they know it. Um, I think we get caught up, especially when you, you know, have been doing something for a long time in ego, you know, and if someone responds badly to something that you've been doing, even if you are on the side of good, like, why wouldn't you be able to take a moment, take a breath, and just be like, did I fuck up here? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, is this larger than me, or did I fuck up? Is there something I could have done differently? Mm. You know, and I don't think that that's, you know... Those are essential questions I wish that everybody would ask themselves on a regular basis. Especially when going into these subjects where there are a lot of wounds, a lot of very strong feelings and voices that need to be expressed and opinions that need to be expressed and just information be disseminated. I right. mean, a lot of the, you know, older stuff, you know, I mean, last week we were talking to Shanghai Pearl, talking about cultural appropriation, um, and she wrote a piece, uh, an article about Dita's... In response to Dita, yeah. In response to Dita's that opium demo. That was fucked. And... <laughs> That, I mean the response. I mean, I mean not her. But writing I heard it, the yeah. response that came at her was unfucking believable. Well, can we talk about that for a second? Absolutely. Because um, I'm like, I love how it doesn't matter how you couch it. It doesn't matter how polite you are. It doesn't matter how you you know cross your t's and dot your eyes when you're a person of color and you say something that challenges the dominant culture. Um, people come out a hat and come out of face, and like that is nothing but racism. And the fact that you know, it's not okay to say that. Like, suddenly you're histrionic for being like, oh, that over there, the way that you're acting, the way that you're, that, that's some bullshit. Like, even saying that, you know, um, is, is of consequence. And I think it's really, like, I thought it was really fucked up the way that Dita responded. I mean, I understand that she, I mean. I don't know how she responded. She didn't. <laughs> Got it. That I mean, why. And, and, you know, I mean, except I think there was, like, a passive-aggressive tweet about her fantasies not being PC, which is all well and good. Like, you can do and think whatever the hell you want. Like, it is your world, it is your life, do your do. We're in America. But also understand, you know, and, and like, and if you don't want to be a role model, don't claim it. But, like, and I think that's kind of the problem that I have sometimes is, like, people want to say that they're promoting diversity and all that other stuff when they're not. Like, I mean, you know, and she's somebody who's made an effort to some extent, but her efforts are very tokenized. Um, and I mean, and, but I mean, like, I'm also understanding who she is in the structure of her brand. Like, it's not crazy deep. You know, she's basically perpetuating one thing and then showing that it can come in rainbow colors and rainbow sizes to some extent. So it's real surface and that's cool. You know, like, that's her thing. Um, I mean, I think she's beautiful. I think she's stunning. And, you know, I think, um, you know, what she has accomplished for herself is admirable. Um, but I'm like, let's quit talking for people of size. Let's quit talking for people of color and, like, let's have them say what they want to say. Yeah. Um, 
and let's give them context, you know? I mean, and, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that part of that is, like, there's deeper conversations that need to be had around that, and I think that when we're in burlesque, we tend to, you know, want to keep it surface um, because that's where people are comfortable, and I feel like we feel like being subversive or thinking deeper about something um, especially when we're thinking about our fantasies is too hard. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's what makes us interesting is when we're examining shit. Um, Absolutely. And I feel the only thing that really prevents people from having those conversations in open ways are ego and fear. Well, and just stupidity. Let's be real. Like <laughs> just abject <laughs> ignorance, you know, and, and not having a good response. I think people are scared of being ignorant mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm the first to say, Oh, like, Oh, I don't know shit about that. You know, because yeah. I mean, there's shit that I don't know. There's yeah. a lot of shit I don't know. Oh my God, what I know, you could fit in a thimble and still have room. <laughs> you know, um, that's a great saying. It's true. <laughs> like I don't know jack shit. Like ask me something about particle physics. Like we will be here oh, just no, waiting. I, no, that's <laughs> like yeah. I'll just be like, well, both the question and the answer. Yeah, I'm like, I know it exists. <laughs> I know that something happens. How about that? Ask somebody else. You know, like those questions. But I think that we're afraid, especially as performers, because we're so used to being on and we're so into being seen. We're afraid of, you know, not being the authority or not being or, you know, the example or whatever. Like we're always taught to improvise in the moment and never step back and be like, you know what? This may not be my tea. Yeah, (laughs) totally. And I, yeah, I mean, I know also it's funny because I mean, within the context of burlesque, which is definitely a subset culturally speaking, or, you know, the culture of New York City, certainly, to what I can speak to. Um, but And I think that, you know, as artists, a lot of us have that profound opportunity to address some of this stuff, but then the actual toolbox of tools to address these things, to discuss them, to be able to say, actually, you know what, I hope, I, you know, like, I want to do this act dear person of color is this racist you know as a white person like you know being able to like check in like that with free of ego just like I want to put some good art out there I I just want to make sure that it's kosher right but I feel like that is not my responsibility to tell you (laughs) like one I mean there's that and there's and, and, and I have a lot more patience than I did when Google didn't exist because like really like this is where white privilege stands is the same information I have access to, you have access to. The difference between, and I'm not saying you personally, but I'm yeah. saying the difference between you and I is the fact that I'm looking for it, you know, and it's yeah. privilege for you not to even consider it and to be able to spend your, you know, mind space on something else because it's not in your lens, you know. And that's, I think, what ends up being some of the screamy part yeah. <laughs> with people is the, like, you don't even get that, like, this is something that has always existed, has always been there, but it's not on your radar at ever. Yeah, in any way, shape, or Right. Way. I mean, and, I mean, and, you know, like, you know, as a, as a black woman, like, I understand that for me that translates, you know, to other things. Like, you know, I have conversation with... You know, my friends who are, you know, who have experienced as immigrants, you know, about their experience versus my American one. You know, and I'm and I have a lot to sit down and learn in that regard, because, you know, even though I consider myself a minority in this country, you know, shit, I walk. I am flush with American privilege to some extent, you know, um, and also realizing uh, where um, where that feeds or doesn't feed me too, you know, as a woman of color, because I always consider myself a second class citizen here. Um 
but you know, understanding that I do benefit and and how that stands, and that's something that I see also when I travel sometimes. Mm. Um, the difference, you know, and I see it in my neighborhood in Bed Stuy. Um, by being somebody who's a transplant um, from somewhere else, you know, um, and also somebody who comes from, you know, a, a both a poor and upper middle class background, because my dad's a Georgia farm boy, and you know, my mom was, you know, a Black American princess. Um, you know, seeing where the things that I've gotten in my life have enable me to navigate, mm-hmm. you know, but I also understand that when push comes to shove, um, you know, like certain people still just view me, you know, as the N word, depending on where I am. And that shifts depending on where I am, especially in this country, mm. you know? Um, and I think that it goes back to, to lens and being just self-aware, um, and being emotionally intelligent, which you don't find a lot in performer culture, <laughs> you know? Um, because people are just dealing with with whatever baggage made them want to be on stage in the first place. Well, hopefully by the time they get on stage, most of it's been worked through. But unfortunately, no, no, that, no, 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 no. Come on now. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not just speaking to burlesque performance, but but again, I'm talking like artists of all. Yeah. You know, especially you know an art form in which the body, the performer, you know, acting, dance, all of that stuff. Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot of demon wrestling that you know we all do, even as we're honing our crafts. You know. Um, and burlesque has been fascinating because, I mean, I think a lot of it, you know, in its inception was just people just going to do the do, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it, you know. And I think that we're at an interesting point because we can sit back now and be like, OK, that that has happened. And now we're full fledged in the middle of a cultural movement, you know, and we have some some people have a little bit more like, you know, navigation room than others like how are we setting the table for the for the people coming up and the people you know for the next generation Mm -hmm. because there are people who did that for us just by living their lives um but i'm like hey we're at a point where we can think about it in a real way why aren't we yeah you know um and and also just like choosing not to be a dick (laughs) yeah you know i mean like i was uh talking to another performer um about jack benny um, and uh, the character Rochester um, that he wrote. Do you know? I, I mean, I know Jack Benny, but I don't know Rochester. Um, Rochester was his manservant. Who, you know, oh. it was the, the the black actor who stood behind him, um, and you know, a little bit on alongside of him as a comedian. Um, and um, how Jack Benny, you know, during his time, basically, you know, took the time to give, within the context of what was appropriate for society at the time. Um, give the actor who was playing Rochester like uh, a comedic foil where he was actually making fun of you know his boss you know and also making fun of a white man in a way that like I don't think happened for that time you know and I think that and you know Jack Benny was Jewish you know and I feel like uh, one of the things that I consistently see in vaudeville and in you know like movie history is this um you know, sort of, like, marriage of, like, other marginalized people during that time, um, you know, in in creating. Like, I mean, like, when you start to read about, like, Hollywood and vaudeville history a lot, there's, like, a lot of, like, people standing in tandem together. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can tell the ones that, like, worked to actually be friends with the people of color, um, you know, that they were working with and who took a stand for them, whether it be Marilyn Monroe you know, speaking up for Ella, you know, um, you know, to the Beatles demanding that they don't perform in front of segregated audiences. Like, 
you know, thinking about who you are in the context of what the world is mm. and taking a stand. And I feel like when it comes to burlesque and like cultural appropriation and all that other stuff, it's like, just think about who you want to be. Mm. You know, when like the pictures are all that's left of you and there might be a couple of oral stories, like what do you want them to say about you? And like, do you want them to say that you were like a shiny <laughs> and bright, but like complete asshole for no reason? You know what I mean? Like, how was your work going to stand for you in general? Mm. You know, and I think a lot of people don't do that. And I feel like it's possible to be challenging and provocative and horribly offensive um, without being a dick. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, because I feel like, you know, Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, like they challenged something. You know what I mean? Like they were Absolutely. challenging it. Like not being P- like, I love how people call things PC. Um, like as if it's a curse word I mean like I don't think it's this weird like censorship appropriateness kind of like you know people being prudish about it it's like what they're calling PC now is just people being like hey how about you like get better jokes and not be a dick yeah you know and like think about your concepts or think about what it is you're trying to say mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just lazy when it comes to the creation of their work because it's like not even good on a communication level you know like if your fantasy is something that is, is going to be questionable, like, own it. Own it and don't apologize and know what it is you're saying. Like, I respect people who are really, like, making us uncomfortable on purpose. Yeah. Um, in order to have us question ourselves. I'm like, you know, like that big, huge Kara Walker thing that's sitting in the Domino's sugar oh factory God, right now. I need now. to go see that. I need to go see that. It's not comfortable. There's a, bit, there's a giant vagina in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that whole, like, installation says something powerful. Like, that's provocative. You know, like, I mean, and her stuff is just like, I mean, if you want to talk about censorship, you know, and like not censoring things like there is nothing palatable or like what people, you know, who are, you know, concerned about prudishness or appropriate would call appropriate about any of her work. But she uses it expertly to say what is on her mind. And that is all I want to ever see. Like, you will never hear me complain about something being offensive if you are saying some shit. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and that's the thing. It's like half the shit that you see in burlesque that, you know, like is appropriative. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say a damn thing. It's just like basically is basically I wanted to wear this pretty outfit. Yeah. Look at my look at my naked body. Yeah. And I'm like, and if that's what you wanted, cool. But understand that people are going to have some shit to say about it and that they're not being ridiculous. They're just like, oh, no, you were just a, you were just somebody who just wanted to wear that pretty outfit. So mm-hmm. don't act like there's like more merit to it than there is. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, that might sound cunty, but I'm just like, just be who you say you are. You know, and, and, and don't be dismissive of, of other people's like legitimate. Right. Gripes. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me speaks to, like, the superficial versus the much deeper. You know, to just wear a pretty costume on stage and, you know, dance and have, you know, a quote-unquote perfect body or whatever. Like, that's fine. It's nice to look at. It in no way challenges anything in me personally. Um, and I, for one, as an audience member and as a fellow artist, I enjoy being challenged. I like being, like, being, you know either forced or put in a position of questioning, you know, programming I have, thoughts I have, preconceived notions I have, the whole covert racism thing was really, I mean, that has really come into my consciousness pretty recently, all things considered, and it makes me, it, it freaks me out because I go, oh my God, okay, 
am I covertly racist? I mean, I sincerely hope not, but I also am willing to see myself with the eyes of truth. And if I am finding parts in myself that I have taken on, you know, unconsciously, and, you know, it's part of, I grew up in a completely white community, right. you know, very wealthy, very um, removed from reality. I mean, comedically so at some points, absolutely tragically so in other ways. But for people like you and other performers and just people within my life saying, you know, examine this, look at this. Like, what do you do when a young black man enters the train and you're sitting with the person on your left? Do you put your hand on your purse? Right. Would you do the same thing if a young white man or a young Asian man or, you know, anybody else, you know, specific to the black man? And I'm just like, oh, fuck. Like, right. those are r incredibly uncomfortable questions, but they, it, they are essential to... They need to be asked. Right. And I feel everybody, no matter your race, creed, color, whatever, um, sexuality, I'm trying to think of the other things, I think it is so important to ask ourselves those questions. And if they make us uncomfortable, then ask them twice, you know, because that's the only way any of us are going to get to a level of mutual understanding and be primed, I feel, to have discussions where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe there is something in me that is super uncool, and now how can I shift that? How can I change that? Well, I feel like that's a question that you need to ask yourself personally on a general basis, like, period. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, no matter what, you know, no matter who or what you are, like, you're like, okay, how, you know, like, how am I, how can I not be an asshole? Like, yeah, no, be, dude, every, that should be re required asking every single day. Yeah, but um, I feel like when it comes to talking about race, I mean, and this is what I can, and well, and, you know, race, gender, like, sexuality, whatever. Um, I mean, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to speak mostly to race right now in this moment. Um, you know, I think that nobody wants to be seen as a douchebag. I mean, I, and especially a racist you know, like a racist douchebag. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the whole thing. I think people are scared to be seen as like to have a moment where they're like not, you know, at their best. Um, but like that's gonna happen. Like you are going to fuck up as part of who you are as a human being. You know, mm -hmm. and in given the context of the world that we live in, like you are sometimes gonna be these things that you don't want to be. And I think part of the journey in general of life is reaffirming that you are who you want. To be, you know, and working on that part. And I think that's that's the base, you know, that people need to start from. And then there's a whole, like, another layer when you add, you know, discussing, discussing and engaging around these things that, um, you know, that I think people need to be, like, super, you know, mindful about. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I just want to say, you know, like, going back to, like, some of the things that we were saying um, earlier about, um, you know, wearing a pretty outfit like I don't want to in any way diminish uh, absolutely thank you for saying that yeah I, I, I don't want to diminish like looking pretty because that is a job you know <laughs> and, and, yeah it is well and also you know and it's a talent and it's a skill and it's also I think you know um you know sometimes like a response to um you know having to perform femininity you know um there that that's a whole nother conversation and, and I don't want it to be like you know me being anti-feminine in any way shape or form um but uh, but I think that, like, I think that when you want these things, I think you just need to own whether or not you are being deep about it. 
And if you're not, that's okay. Just get out of the way to some extent, <laughs> you know, when, yeah. when people are having deep conversations around these things with people. If you don't want to engage in this shit, don't. That's fine. Go off over here, you know, and label it so people who, you know, want to do something, you know, you know, or don't want to do something, know where to go. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's I, I think that's my biggest issue around burlesque is like people claim diversity to some extent and to some extent they claim feminism and all these other things when they're not really like trying to live it, you know, or they're not owning where they're good at it and when they're not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big. The I mean, biggest having thing. the humility to admit right. that. I mean, the, the a lot of like humility and being willing to question yourself and say like, am I being? Is like, is this coming from a fucked up place in me that I have yet to discover? Those reflexes tend to be pretty anti, mm, anti-intuitive, uh, counterintuitive. I'm trying to th- like, they do, they are. I feel a more evolved way of being. Right. Um, and certainly on a performance level, and there's all different levels of performance and performers, people coming from all different backgrounds. But a lot of times the people who just want to be pretty, they're not concerned with the deeper stuff. They just want to say like. I'm going to do this and without thinking, oh, the theme that I'm doing is actually kind of problematic. Right. You know, like, for instance, Dita's Opium Den Act. I've not seen it, so I can't speak to it. Right. But, you know, it's a thinking, not, not I mean, I'm not, I'm not going there. Um, it's, I think it's essential that, especially as performers, we need to have that reflex of questioning, of right. the self-reflection, saying like, is this fucked up? Is like, and being able to check in with community members, be like, can I just like, I have, like my spidey senses are tingling about this, and I just right. need to, you know, confirm or this, that, the other thing. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that reflex. Well, I mean, and there's also the business aspect of performing. Like, I'm sure Dita, you know, like to change all that around would have been a costly thing. Very much so. You know, um, and then also there's the whole PR aspect of you have a brand. You, you are this one thing as a brand and like how do you respond to this response within your brand like not even you know in your art but just as somebody who is commodifying your shit like I um, mean that that part's hard to navigate because you know you're like trying to preserve yourself because this is how you get fed and how you you know continue your survival yeah. you know um I think part of it um in general, like as a professional performer, it just means like hiring more people who will tell you when you're being ridiculous, you know, or, um, you know, or at least putting in a process where you examine stuff, you know, and then just asking yourself, um, how you can better respond on a business level. I mean, we had, we had like a perfect example of that, you know, happened recently in the burlesque community, um, with someone who had something that was racially charged happen, um, you know, and they could have responded to it in a better way on a business level, and they didn't. And now they have to deal with, well, probably no consequences at this point. But, you know, I know that I, for one, am never going to darken that door. <laughs> you know, just because I'm just like, well, on a business standpoint, like, you can be who you say you are, but, like, how you handle things is whether or not, you know, I choose to to work with you. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't think that everything needs to be for me. You know, um, I mean, but I also understand, um, I also understand that, like, other people have a structure where things are for them automatically. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where the white privilege part comes in is, like, you know, nine times a ten if somebody is squeaking at you, they're not just squeaking just to be squeaking. You know, they're kind of like, hey, 
you're standing on my foot. No, 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 really, you're standing on my foot. Like, dude, get off my foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, should you be pissed at the person whose foot you were standing on that you were standing on their foot? You know what I mean? Like, or do you, like, apologize and just be like, you know what, I'm not going to stand on your foot again. How about that? You know, or do you continue to stand on, on their foot because it's comfortable? You know, and I mean, yeah. and that I feel like that to me is a perfect, um, you know, illustration of white privilege. Is like once you're aware of something, like the choice that you made after that defines who you are. Mm-hmm. And so it goes back to deciding who the hell you want to be as a performer and owning it and owning the shit that comes with it. Yeah. Like be who the fuck you want to be, but also just understand that you know some choices come with different consequences, and you are not free of consequences. Or, or maybe you are because the structure is, you know, created in a way where you don't have to deal with stuff. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated because I feel like with the Internet, people that normally wouldn't get heard are suddenly being heard. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested to see how that shifts. Um, on the flip side, I think that there's that whole, like, when people suddenly find their voice or suddenly realize that they're actually being heard, um, you know, like sometimes there's not a. Sometimes you get caught up in the momentum, and like you know, as you're moving forward, you don't always realize like what you've left behind that you might have wanted to keep along the way. Mm. Um, but I don't know, like that's it's hella complicated. The stuff around like race and class and gender and all that is, and you know, sexuality, it's all loaded. Um, Absolutely. You know, largely because there's been this whole. Um, this whole situation where like all these people have been muted. Exactly. I was just exactly I was thinking non-acknowledgement, like complete lack of acknowledgement, and now it really seems finally. And it, you know, there's plenty more to go. Right. But these, you know, the the discussions are going a bit more nationally and a bit more above board. Right. Well, globally, were. yeah. And globally, I mean, you know, women, minorities, gays, like all finally. It's being spoken about and discussed on in in places certainly in the media that would have never had those discussions ten yeah. years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that I think that these conversations once again have always been happening. I mean, like you know, I can go back and I have gone back and looked at, um, you know, like the people who were considered the you know the others and the you know marginalized folks. Um, you know, like back in the day, like who were strong enough to stand up and say what say their piece then, um, and they were saying the same things that people are saying now. And the difference now is like the bodily threat of violence is a little bit less than it was, but it's happening even worse on an institutional level. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like maybe I shouldn't say that. Um. You know, because there's certain things that I'm not afraid for in the same way that my grandmother was, but at the same time, I still fear. I still have to fear them. Um. I don't know. It's it's hard. I I don't. It's weird comparing like how how oppressed am I? But at the same time, I also exist. You know, in this country, the freest the black woman has ever been in this moment, which isn't still which still isn't free. But you know, I can sit in public across from you and have this kind of conversation and not worry about my safety in the same ways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I know that's not. I know that that's part of my personal privilege too, but you know, I know because I know that doesn't doesn't exist all over the country. Like you still have sundown towns, you still have places where people are being dragged. You know, you have still places where you know, like I'm not allowed to go. Mm-hmm. Like that still exists, and it may not be like here in New York in the same way. You know, um, I, but then here you have institutional violence too, in a way that people don't always acknowledge, like with the cops and stop and frisk, and you know, all these other things that people are completely like 
I think certain people are completely like ignorant about or not willing yeah. to acknowledge that it's an act of violence on a community on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting off topic. <laughs> well, I want. I, I, what I do want to ask about if people want to like, can you recommend any good websites if people want to begin to improve their vocabulary? Or, you know, places to go to read up on, and I mean, like you said, you know, the internet, Google, it's all there. Oh, I mean, like, it's a keyword search. I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's just, like, you are responsible for your own education. Like, I am not going to be your tour guide, and and you shouldn't expect any other person of color to do that. And if they do, you know, it is an act of love. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, somebody telling you that, you know, you were off the chain. (laughs) <laughs> and you need to like check your shit is like an act of love. Agreed. You know, even if it doesn't Completely feel good. Agreed. Absolutely. Even if it doesn't feel good, the fact that they're taking the time to be like you, you know, your shit is crooked, like means that they not only have like a level of hope, <laughs> you know, I think, but um, but also, you know, that they're taking the time and the energy, you know, when they don't need to, you know, just to to, to tell you to go check your shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody, um, I mean. There's a lot of, like, pop culture blogs. Like, if you want to start, you know, somewhere that is, like, um, easily digestible. Because, like, not everybody's an intellectual. That's okay. You know, not everybody's going to read, like, you know, like, crazy academic tomes on racism and gender and stuff like that. Um, yeah, if, if you want to start, start simple with pop culture, like, check out um, Color Lines, race, you know, on .com. Like, um, The Atlantic, like, the stuff that Ta-Nisi, Ta-Nisi Coates, I hope I said his name right, <laughs> um, writes is amazing. I, and you can also just do a keyword search and Google cultural appropriation or Google racism, you know, in burlesque or Google anything, you know, in history and just, like, you know add, you know, person of color or, like, you know, Asian American or whatever, just start reading shit and putting stuff together. Because, I mean, that, I mean, that's not complicated. Like, there is so much information out there in general. I mean, I wouldn't just recommend a website, you know, like, randomly. Um, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, with a basic keyword search around certain, you know, words you could just stumble upon mm-hmm. Um, just start to educate yourself and sit and be quiet and listen go somewhere and listen mm-hmm. we have free talks here with like you know black radicals with like Quakers and like you know people who have like done all sorts of stuff you know in different political movements um, we live in New York City you know and they're live streaming this stuff sometimes or you know there's stuff that is just it's just out there like it's it's possible to start checking out things and just and sit down and shut the fuck up sometimes mm-hmm. like and just listen Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's, that's a large part of it is like sitting down and just denying yourself, like, you know, being front and center, you know, which I think is really hard for performers to do. And I, I don't know if anybody wants to do that. But I mean, like, my whole thing is if you look at something that you love and you see the absence of what your world currently looks like, like what the real world looks like, start to ask yourself, you know, about those gaps and start to chase those gaps. I feel like that's a basic part from like somebody who's coming from performing and might not be interested in critical thought around things. Like, just start looking at the gaps, you know, and then go from there. I hope that made. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I get a little bit rabid because there's like, there's all this parallel history um, that has just been like erased. And it's not hard to find, like, the little, um, 
the little tidbits of it. Yeah. You know, like the little things, the little fragments that are left. Um, and go for, and, and start chasing from there. I mean, people did it with burlesque. Yeah. You know, I mean, because these women weren't, they weren't easy to find. Well, I mean, with the burlesque strippers, because, you know, these women weren't easy to find because they'd used stripping to class jump, and nobody ever wants to talk about that, you know, while they're doing that whole, um, that whole, like, oh, I'm not a stripper, I'm a burlesque performer. Nobody ever wants to talk about, like, why half these women were performing burlesque, you know, and the fact that, like, a lot of them were sex workers, you know, or that they were doing this, you know, in order to navigate some stuff on a class level. Um, you know, we're so busy, you know, trying to, to elevate and sort of um, deny, you know, any aspect of that, you know, uh, when it comes to burlesque. And, and it's just weird, <laughs> like, because I, I feel like you you ignore the fact that this, this entire art form is performer resistance. <laughs> like, it is, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that's what it is, like... These are people who were outliers, who wanted a space to to shine and to be seen, you know, and took it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I don't know if, if burlesque isn't that to you. I don't know why you're doing it. Mm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. Because, I mean, even if you're admiring, you know, like the Beehive legends, like all those women like sacrificed and suffered to to have what they did. Oh yeah. <laughs> like all of them. Yeah. You know? Um some more than others. Right. But it is a common thread for sure. I mean and that's the thing. I'm just like so like start with that. Start with the gap. Start with the culture of like resistance uh, about what it means to be, you know, a weed who's determined to be like a flower. Mm. You know? I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's that's super basic mm. you know I mean and if you just want to be shiny which is okay I mean there is power in the shiny um, understand that even that comes with um, that comes with its own bullshit but its own legacy too its own legacy of, of standing you know in the spotlight through you know adversity um, I don't know I just feel like people always like try to minimize it down to oh I'm just here to entertain right um, and some people are but I mean, but the way that like that that always like sits with me wrong, um, because I'm like even in an entertaining, <laughs> like what I mean, like what does that mean to you? Like ask yourself, what does that mean when you are entertaining somebody? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're willing to like completely debase yourself, you know, in in order to to gain their attention, you know, or does that mean that you take an opportunity to take what they think? is your debasement and switch the power Mm. exchange. You know, um, recently I noticed on the internet, um, Indigo Blue uh, was doing an event and she had accidentally named it the Cakewalk. Uh, You know, Cakewalk for whatever reason and not, and she hadn't like, it it meant a certain thing to her because I think that it's been used like recently to mean like musical chairs with cakes or something. You know, like it's it's been like a... Well, the only... uh, term of, I mean, I just know it's like when something's a cakewalk, it means it's really easy. Well, there's that. <laughs> um, what uh, What's the alternate? Oh, the, there's this whole history in, in, in slavery from, I mean, the, case, the, the term came from slavery. Oh, um, I see this as news to me. Well, I mean, that's, that's the other thing. It's like racism is so pervasive in our culture. It's in the innocuous things like 
dessert. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you know, just like that story recently about um, with NPR about the ice cream truck song with Turkey in the Straw. <gasps> oh, my God. Right. I couldn't believe that. I mean, I can believe it, but that was just like, holy shit. See, but I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like that's one of... Um, uh, that's one of the things that we don't realize about racism and about how it's pervasive and how like within the organic structures of like language, art and culture as things evolve, like how we feed them Mm -hmm. and us as creators, I think we really have to think about like how we're feeding into things, you know, and if we're taking stuff and reclaiming and all the other stuff, like, you know, are we really doing that? You know, is that happening or like how, or at least starting to like not, I think, you know, it's important that we forgive and not forget and like start to be able to chart, you know, how something might be, like, evolving and coming back and returning to the fucked up in this, and then, you know, like, at least have, at least have a record of it, but, um, you know, going back to what I was saying about, um, you know, Indigo had accidentally done this, and she didn't realize. So what is a cakewalk in those slave... Um, basically, it's really fucked up. (laughs) Like, basically, um, you know, it was a thing where the slaves would mimic, um, you know, the dances, like when the, the you know, plantation owners would have dances and stuff, they would mimic um, what they were doing. They were basically clowning them, right? Um, but it got to, it, it was one of those things where it was seen, um, it was seen eventually by the slave masters as, like, a form of entertainment. Because it's like, oh, look at these black people who are, like, trying to dress up like us and emulate us. And they thought it was us trying to... Um, trying to be fancy when it was really us clowning people, (laughs) you know? Um, And it was one of those things that it became um, a, like, it became a a competitive thing where, like, basically the masters were so entertained by it that they would, like, reward you for, you know, entertaining well, you know? Um, And then it ended up being adopted into um, minstrel shows because, you know, this was, like, this was basically a form of you know, resistance through, like, culture and through dance that got co-opted and appropriated and turned into something, like, even more fucked up. But um, what happened was it became an outlet for, you know, black performers within, um, within you know, the whole, like, framework of minstrelsy, and it became, like, a dance craze. Um, the cakewalk became a thing. It was, like, it was kind of like the way twerking, <laughs> you know, got appropriated. It's, like, something that we started... You know, white people were like, oh, look at them, (laughs) you know, and then it somehow like turned into like evolved a little bit, you know, into, you know, something that was like an appropriated uh, depiction of black culture. I don't know if I'm making sense at all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just not it's not okay. Like it's it's not okay not to know where things come from. And then also like as white people, you know, once all the the immediate recognition of where it came from is like erased where it's all like it's all distilled down to just you know musical chairs with cakes at like you know an old folks home mm-hmm. you know you know what I mean like when it really has this legacy of being born in you know response to some oppression yeah you know I mean I, I, I to I mean gently play devil's advocate I think there's also in what you just said about like it's not okay to not know I mean for me personally speaking as a white woman 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff, like, I don't know that I, I mean, like, for instance, Cakewalk, like, God, I just learned something new. I had right. no fucking idea. And, I, and, I, and I probably did not explain it well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a bit of, again, it's like a good, good Google research yeah. time, you know, after this. Um, but also, I mean, it, I just want to speak up for, you know, those of the, of us, of, like, white people who want to be in this dialogue but have no idea the depth or breadth of some of the really fucked up stuff right. where and it's the, that's one of the reasons why I get uncomfortable and a little scared when I get into conversations around race because it's suddenly like there is so much going on that I have no idea about but that I'm very much living at the effect of and that is in my vocabulary that may have been in my programming somewhere and I don't want it there but I don't even know it's there to begin with yeah but welcome to the party <laughs> like, yeah. like if you think it's all like stressful and confusing for you imagine oh god <laughs> oh my god I can only imagine yeah. I mean, for me it's it's also coming from a place of I want to be putting you know my most honest foot forward always right and part of that is absolutely professing you know situational ignorance and yeah being but like, I didn't know about that like yeah, but, but that me. happens like you're not going to know everything that is I mean like that part yeah. is, that happens but you know also like if you feel this gap you know take the time to go like look at some just start reading and researching mm-hmm. you know um I mean and there's certain things that you know you're never gonna no, because it's not your lived experience, but there are people who are are talking about it in the grand scheme of things, like, who are professional people who talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just get some black friends. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Oh, like, I don't know. I should probably not say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I really don't want to unleash, like, you know, a, a, a torrent of well-intended but clueless, like, white folk, you know, on my fellow pox, but... At the same time, it's just, like, broaden your horizon, broaden your world, and, like, you know, think about, like, who's in your circle and who you love, you know, and how you are honoring and respecting those people, mm-hmm. you know? Because, I mean, I feel like we can have intellectual discussion about it all we want, but nobody ever changes until, you know, like, they're put in a position where, you know, they're invested and it matters to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I feel like, you know... A lot of a lot of white folk I know just don't see brown people. Um, period. Not like not as people, mm-hmm. and that's something that y'all are gonna have to work on. <laughs> like period. I I have to say I don't like being lumped in with those people. Yeah, but you have no you have really like no control over it unless you. Were oh, making... absolutely. I mean, and I, it goes the same way yeah. the other way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the generalization that being lumped in. I mean, my God, I can, again, I can only begin to imagine, like, I mean, I remember, like, just the other day I was watching something, and it was, again, talking about race, and the person who was speaking, I can't remember if it was a black man or a black woman, uh, but talking about, like, oh, yeah, well, you guys all look the same anyway. Wow. You know, but as a tool to, like, you know, get in there to sort of, like, stab, because, you know, like, poke at the perceptions, because... That's oh no maybe it was Asian I can't remember anyway right. whoever it was it was like basically saying like we've been told that like we're no different from our fellow people who right. look our same way you know right. that we have the same ancestors right. but in no way pay attention to our unique gifts or unique this and I mean what you just said it's like 
you know, my re reaction is like, but I don't want to be lumped in with those, you know, stupid white people. But a lot of people are only going to see me for what my skin color is. And they're going to be like, she's a white girl of privilege who doesn't give a shit. Once again, welcome to the party. I'm exactly. sorry. Exactly. No, yeah. no, 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 no. And <laughs> I think that, you know, like, like, it's, it's all good. Yeah, and like, it feels it's, like shit. It feels like shit. And it's, again, it's only this little moment of our conversation where I'm like, oh, bummer. You know, yeah, but for you, uh, which does not in any way measure up to, no. you know, anything that anybody who is not white has, you know, has had happen to them right. in in this country. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm glad that you're having those insights. Like, yay. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be flippant. I'm sorry. Like, um. But I'm like, imagine what that that means. Like you, you're feeling that just in these basic exchanges. Like imagine how that feels like when it's part of your like daily existence. I can't, yeah, no. You it, know where like people are holding you against something that you're obviously not, or like that you're not. I don't know if I'm making sense to you. You're absolutely yeah. making sense. I mean, for me personally, it is what I would call you know a, a moment to deepen my compassion. Right. Like for people, you know, who have been treated that way their whole lives, who come at me with stuff like that. And I just have to say, oh, my God, because people can only treat others the way they've been treated themselves. Well, and, and to some extent, you have to suck it up because, like, this is what and if you're really offended by it, if it's really bothering the hell out of you, like, start questioning the fellow white people who are putting you in that Absolutely. situation. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's the biggest part of it, because a lot of the anger gets, you know, directed, redirected at pox. And I'm like, we are not the problem. Like, the problem is all those people you sit next to who are reinforcing that shit, you know, for you. So if you don't want to be lumped in, like, yeah, you have to start examining how you're, benefit, how you're benefiting from the fucked up things that they've laid down. You know, and, I mean, that's, 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 an, that's an interesting process in and of itself. Um, I love Jay Smooth um, and how he talks about racing and engaging. Um, I love watching him um, and also just uh, like acknowledging just acknowledging the fact that like this is an uncomfortable conversation you know in and general yeah I mean I think it's it's necessary I mean and I, I do not have all the answers I do not speak for all you know African Native American whatever like folk uh, you know Asian whatever um, I don't speak for all people of color um, you know right now we're just having like real face to face yeah. you know conversation that other people are going to get to listen to um and i'm sure there when i listen to this there's going to be like something that i might have regretted <laughs> like you know not articulate i don't know a single person who i've interviewed who like listens to the podcast afterwards and doesn't say like oh jesus why did i say that or oh i sound funny it's like no right. perfect well i'm 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 most concerned about like you know not doing harm um yeah, I'm. I mean, like that's my biggest concern. But I'm also like interested in and in being candid and coming forth and talking about this stuff within the context of you know uh, the art form that we both you know love and interact in. Um, but also as New Yorkers, you know. Yeah, I mean, the shit Americans. is complex. Life is complex. It's crazy complex, and it's. I, I again, I feel this is conversations like this need to be happening. Yeah. All the time, we're fellow white people say oh my god okay what has what have we been doing as a people like what did our ancestors do uh to all of these people okay well how do i begin to change right the way i perceive this the way i go about this 
and how to have discussions about this stuff, you know, with people who may not want to have those discussions. And yeah. by that, I mean fellow white people. No, no, it's, it's well, I mean. Because you were saying, like, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot, that, like, th- this is this is a densely packed suitcase of a topic. Well, and people are really invested in their privilege because, I mean, they benefit from it. Like, yep. you know, like, and, and to some extent, there's a part of it, I think, that when you start, when you're made aware of something, and you realize the enormity of it and how fucked up it is, and then you realize that as an individual there's only so much you can do, like, that part is overwhelming. Like, I, I mean, not that this is a good parallel or equivalent, um, but, I mean, I think about as a performer and, you know, like, when it comes to my costumes and, and stuff like that, like, you know, who had to suffer and what was made from slave labor. Like, I haven't been wearing fake eyelashes for a bit now um, because they're made by slave labor and I don't know like necessarily how to find ethical fake eyelashes and and part of that feels a little bit ridiculous but then it doesn't I don't know if that makes sense um because it's just like you know how much how much effective am I going to have that I'm suddenly like not buying these things because I don't know where they came from um or because somebody suffered to make it, and there's so many other things in my life that, you know, I take in that came at the expense of somebody else's suffering. Like, you know, I'm sure the pineapple that we just enjoyed came at the expense of someone else's suffering so I could have a pineapple. Like, someone is probably going hungry so we can enjoy these things. Um, And that is fucking enormous and depressing, and it's like, what do you do to not continue it besides go off and live in the forest off of, you know... The land, like I mean, I'm dead serious. Like I don't have yeah. all the answers. I have no idea, and I'm just trying to figure it out. I feel it's it's. Uh, there's some. I was reading something a while back where it says, "Live the question, and the answer. You you will wake up in the answer." Right. It's like to, as long as we keep asking ourselves these questions and wondering about them and thinking about them, but just stay in the position of asking the questions because the answer will come. Well, I mean, I'm curious about the... Well, like, I'm at the point where I'm curious about the doing because, you know, I don't want to be somebody who is so navel-gazy that, you know, like, I'm sitting in a corner just gazing at my navel. Like, you know, I want to I, I want to make a difference. I want to do something um, you know, that has some impact and some effectiveness. Mm. Um, but we are, we were all born into some bullshit. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You know, and we just make the decisions that we make on a daily basis. And one of mine is I'm going to... I'm going to say what I know. I'm going to be accountable for what I've said. And, you know, I'm going to hold other people accountable to to some extent, too, as much as I can, you know. Um, And that's who I am today. I can't say that I've always been that person. Like, it's all part of a process and an evolution, and I'm still changing and growing and learning. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, I really, like, I have to talk about racism because it bothers me. And I stand in solidarity with people around, you know, other you know, issues of oppression and marginalization. Yeah. And thank you for talking about it. No, I mean, I think conver- I think it's an I think it's an important conversation. I don't know Absolutely. what's I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and sometimes, you know, like it all feels stupid. You know, especially when you're talking about like stuff in the context of burlesque. <laughs> a little bit because there you're is just a like, frivolous nature to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm just like we are not we are not you know like solving world hunger or world peace. Like I mean, and we are the dreamers to some extent, and we are you know people who are talking about like you know gender and sex and sex- sexuality, you know, in a certain way. But um, you know, like sometimes it's really not that deep. Like mm-hmm. it's real. Like most of the time, I think it's pretty superficial. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, I think that there's value, you know, in that, but um, I don't know. I think we have to be humble, aware of ourselves, and, uh, you know, not take ourselves too seriously. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely not take yourself, uh, take ourselves too seriously. That's essential. Yeah. That is essential. Nobody should take themselves too seriously because it removes, the, for somebody who does that, I feel it removes them from, you know, the beautiful imperfections that right. is life. And the, but also the ability to laugh at yourself. Right. Like, to have a sense of humor about some of this really dark shit and not in a way of making light, but being able to walk with it in a real relationship there's going to be the humor there's going to be the sadness there's going to be it's just going to be real right and to be able to be reminded like it's a gift to be alive it's a gift to be able to have these conversations you know where we're not being stoned to death or uh you know buried alive or you know or killed because we love somebody right. who you know society at large thinks we shouldn't I mean, I, I I personally choose to stay in a space of gratitude, uh, just as a, as a buoy, you know. Yeah, but I feel like we have a responsibility, you know. Um, I mean, and this is the part that I struggle with is we have a responsibility as people who are able to sit on a couch on a Friday afternoon. It is Friday, right? It is Friday <laughs> <laughs> um, on a Friday afternoon and wax philosophical about this shit. Like the fact that we even have the time to do or oh, think yeah. about that, like that is an earmarker privilege. And I'm kind of like you know like really like think about like if you were given this moment if you were like blessed with these opportunities like why would you waste them you know or why would you not be like considerate or thoughtful about the fact that you have this opportunity um but also understanding um your role in your space sometimes like sometimes it's not about you you know, and sometimes, you know, like, you should just sit, sit and listen or go somewhere and sit and listen and, or just be, the like, not the, not the mouthpiece, but, um, what is the, um... Figurehead or... Not, not the figurehead, the, uh, I forgot, uh, do signal boost. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to add your two cents to it. Sometimes you just need to, like, let the broadcast continue. You know what I mean? Like, if you can't, if you don't have anything of value to offer to the conversation or perspective, like... Just, you know, hold up what you can so the signal keeps going. Yeah. You know, and, like, let the person who's broadcasting continue to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think that that's, you know, part of also, like, what happens in burlesque. Because, um, like, it's it's definitely lily white. Like, it really is. And nobody ever wants to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that's born in um, nostalgia for times that were highly fucked up for both women and minorities. Um, and I'm like, you can't be all fond of the 30s or the 20s or the 40s and not think about, um, and especially when you're looking at performer culture, like think about how these people that we admire, what they were dealing with or what they were standing against, you know, um, and who gets idolized. And when you start to like look at history and you start to look at the bigger picture, when you realize who gets idolized and who gets, to, you know, who gets um, mythologized, is that the word? Is that a word? I make yeah. up words often. No, no, that's <laughs> okay. As far as I'm concerned, that's a word. It might be. Um, you know, like, when you see who gets, like, left um, as part of an archetype, um, you know, when you think about the iconography, like, you start to question what it is you're being told. You know, because, I mean, once again, Josephine was amazing. Um, but she also, like, fed into some stuff that was fucked up. You know? Um, and... 
we can learn from her and not continue it with no substance you know um i mean i think we can honor the struggle of the people that came before us but we also like should look at it and learn from history yeah um you know because there were i mean there were a lot of people who were her contemporaries who you know were doing some really powerful and effective stuff but when push comes to shove you get left with the girl in the banana costume you know and i mean and she was more than that and that's all that's left of her to some extent does that make sense yeah you know um and there were a lot of people that were her contemporaries that nobody ever talks about there was a whole bunch of like gay folk <laughs> you know in both burlesque and, and broad and vaudeville that like nobody talks about um the drag queens trans folk there were, there were like a lot of people that you know when you start to look at the history it's there so i'm like why am i not seeing that on burlesque stages yeah. you know like why aren't people asking those questions like do we need another like white girl geisha act when there's all this other shit you could be doing that speaks to the things that you're interested in you know um without like you know if you want to make it surface you know you can still bring something that's an aesthetic that still you know is part of the history that you're like tapping into or the things that you're tapping into without like playing in this weird you know exoticism of the ethnic other like fantasia you know yeah um and I want, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm like, why is it so interesting? Like, like, why are people like not questioning those messages and, you know, and, and the legacy of colonialism that they come from? Like, I'm sort of like confused by that. Like, I mean, don't you wonder why you fantasize about some things? Don't you wonder why you are like attracted to certain things? I mean, I know that for a lot of people, you know, the concept of the other uh, is very tantalizing, and there's the whole, I mean, psychologically speaking, I mean, that's a whole kettle of fish right there, um, you know, the fetishization of the other or the different or, you know, something. And But how often so much of those hang-ups um, or fascinations then become sexualized mm. and or maybe they're sexualized from the word go right um but then they become you know a whole fetish unto themselves which then like engenders a whole sort of intense relationship in the perceiver's mind you know with that other thing um when you know when a thought gets changed you know everything else changes right. and that you know, there's certain tenets of, I feel, those attractions, the relationship of the attraction that can get changed really quickly. Right. Um, when certain questions start getting asked, when it's like, oh, wait, hold on. You know, what, you know, I am feeling really attracted to in this moment, it's actually, like, there's a whole legacy behind that level of attraction. I, I, I'm not explaining myself well, but I feel it's, I think I think there's some large human, like, at, not average, not normal, but like frequent, like a lot of people have these thoughts, a lot of people have the same programming, so they're going to respond to these certain things in different ways, but then when they begin to, as you say, think on their own, ask the questions, start diving deeper, you know, something that might seem like exotic and beautiful, like a woman dancing around in a banana skirt, if right. you've grown up in, you know, surrounded by nothing by but white people, right. suddenly... You know, at first, like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Oh, she's the, you know, the exotic other. Right. And then something like, oh, oh, what, oh. Right. Like, well, that's actually incredibly problematic. And you know what? Actually, I'm not so interested in that archetype anymore. Right. Or, you know, I mean, again, I'm the not The banana skirt is real popular <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with the white folk, too. <laughs> like, well, it's, it's a real symbol. 
Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. It's like what it ends up representing. And the whole thing is that, like, how could you not look at this? I mean, like, a lot of people like the art because, you know, art, she was a beautiful woman. So, yeah. like, and she hung out with artists of her time that were amazing artists. And so they captured what they felt was the essence of her to some extent through their lens. Um, you know, and that's per, that's one of, the, like, the images that's pervasive. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you ask, you know, brown people about you know, burlesque, like Josephine Baker is one of the names, the first names that comes up. And um, once again, not to diminish her le- legacy, because I mean, I know I could not have been her, you know, like what she had to overcome to, to do the things that, you know, she wanted to do. Um, and also to make the choices that she needed to make. Um, once again, like, yeah, could not have been her. But at the same time, like, she knew that she was feeding into something that people would respond to. Like she gave the audience what they wanted, but what they wanted was racist Mm. (laughs) period, you know? And like, you can't look at her life and not examine, you know, like the time that she came up with and, and what was happening and how white people were responding to it. And part of it was like the whole, this is something new and different aspect. Yes. Um, but also like there was a way that they were framing it, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, it was more like a bird in a gilded cage, you know, as opposed to, like, her being, like, free and autonomous. I mean, she was freer than the other folk were, to some extent, but still, it's, like, it's 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 a fancy box that, mm-hmm. you know, folks put you in, and I feel like part of the legacy of, like, women and some performers like her is that you end up, you know, being put in this box of expectation that you have to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, that really when push comes to shove is, is fucked up, but especially when you look at the legacy of, like, things like the human zoos and, um, you know, the hot and Todd Venus where black... Oh, Jesus Christ, that story. But, oh. I mean, but but Josephine, like, she's the first one, you know, who, like, wasn't oppressed in that way. <laughs> I mean, like completely objectified. Yeah, I mean, but she was objectified, too. Like, I mean, but, like, but at least, you know, her, like, once again, her her objectification had a little bit of a, like... autonomous nature well a little bit but you know but also it had a little bit of like a you know spit shine to it compared to you know what happened to the women in the freak shows and the men in the freak shows you know like the those uh i forgot their names but the 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 twin um albino men and stuff like that when you look at how um you know people of color like the history of people of color in burlesque and sideshow comes from a fucked up place but we're not talking about it at all. And then you also don't see, you don't see that many people of color, you know, on burlesque stages. And when you do, they're expected to um, navigate within a certain framework or, you know, you're seen as like an upstart or troublemaker or just, you know, somebody who's a shit star. When I'm like, no, this is me trying to actually, like for me personally, and, and I've seen it, you know, like like what happened to Shanghai. Um you know, this is me just trying to, like, make art and, like, live it, mm-hmm. you know, and also not live within the box that someone's put forth, like, I'm, I'm trying to respect the legacy and also, like, move in a different way, and I feel like, you know, if white people are going to do anything, it's maybe, like, it, within burlesque, especially, it's, like, sit back and, like, let folk say their piece, you know, and also start to, you know, acknowledge where you might be, like, contributing to some bullshit, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know necessarily like how to. I don't necessarily like. I don't know necessarily where to instruct you to possibly like start to begin. Oh, you thought you, you. I mean, just the fact that you like get the fuck on Google. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like handle your shit. Like, yeah. 
you know, it's like just be responsible. And if, if this is not what you want to be, start and not being be proactive. It. Proactive is a great word, you know, and 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 also like just be like, you know what, it's a, it's okay that I might have fucked up. Yeah. You know, and own when you fuck up. I mean, I think that that's the biggest part that I've had with some of the stuff that I've witnessed, you know, in past years and recently is people perpetuate shit. And then when people are like, really, really, motherfuckers, um, there's a there's a fucked up response to it that only like creates even more, you know, friction because people are like, whatever. And then like, you know, my experience, like, you know, brown folk off in their corner and keep doing what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. it's the whole thing. It's like, you know, people act they're surprised <laughs> like often that like brown people either made the efforts in the past or are doing this like parallel and simultaneously like you know you haven't seen me a lot in your circles but I've still been working and performing and you know still working on developing work but you know just because I haven't been in the immediate like New York circle um, doesn't mean that I'm not doing what it totally. is that you know I'm interested in doing and Absolutely. it's like facilitating more people to come into your space I think is important and but I feel like y'all need to hold each other accountable and you know this last you know debacle was a perfect example of not that (laughs) not really holding accountable like sort of like pushing somebody to like a weird apology but like not really like being committed to like seeing to like seeing some responses some change Mm -hmm. like I've had people I consistently have people come to me privately when something uncomfortable happens and they're concerned but they're not willing to make themselves uncomfortable in other ways in order to see change manifest yeah. you know and I, I mean I know it's hard because you know nobody's making crazy amounts of money from this um, you know we're all trying to figure out how to survive you know and we're all caught up in our own personal shit um, but you know also think about like you know just impact and like if you are on stage or you're in a show and you see nothing but white people in the audience and beside you, like, doesn't that concern you? Like, I get concerned when, like... I despise it, personally. I, I enjoy booking culturally diverse shows and attracting a culturally diverse audience. But we also support people who don't ever think about that shit. I mean... And, this is, and to me, like, that might be a problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And especially when, like, you know, they fuck up like that and then aren't at all like introspective yeah at least you know I mean like to me that's that's an indication that you're never going to shift so like why should I contribute to part of what it is you're doing when you're not you're not really like being like evaluating or assessing right I don't know I mean I don't know if that's a high expectation to have of you know I think it's a high expectation I mean it would be lovely if everybody could be on the same page, but well, but I don't again, want everybody to be like on the same page because I think that that would make for a boring world. Well, <laughs> that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that it's it's in these moments the the dialogues of self questioning that sort of like you know wading through the quagmire of a lot of unexplored stuff. That's where you know incredible things happen. I feel you know like yeah, sure the uncomfortable feelings will persist for a lot of people, you know, going through these dialogues, but it's okay to be uncomfortable. Right. Being threatened, that's not okay. Right. But to be uncomfortable, to be able to sit with that, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's like a level of education right. that a lot of people need, because we live in a society where it's like, oh, that doesn't feel good, take a pill. Right. Like, oh, that doesn't. You know, you don't want to do that. Don't do it. Go. Oh, look. Look at this new app I have. You right. know, or like go to do like instant 
the instant gratification, but then also like avoidance. you know, a complete avoidance. And be like, oh, what's that pretty sparkly thing over there? You right. know, and not sitting with what is there because it's in those moments of sitting and you know, either be it grappling or negotiating or just asking the same question over and over and over again in the mind. Like the answer will come if you want to find it. Right. And I think a lot of people don't give a shit about asking the questions and certainly don't give a shit about acknowledging the answers. Well, the thing is that we we aren't going to have all the answers. It's you true. Know, and I just also want to let you know it's it, okay. that's the time. So <laughs> we I, just because you have important, gorgeous research to be doing. Yeah. And I don't want to keep you from it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that that. I mean, what was I saying? Um. I'm saying the something. questions, the answers. Well, no, we don't. We definitely don't have all the answers. Like, I don't. I don't have shit. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to live. You have more than a lot of people. I really don't. <laughs> like, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out there and say you do. Yeah, I'm going to say that on front street. Is like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, we we are all making it up as we go along. Um, yeah. You know, and trying to do our best. Um, and we're not going to have the answers immediately. Like, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of gray areas and crazy spaces. You know. Um, but. You know, I just would I would like to see people just be more thoughtful in general and then also like sit down and and listen or, you know, when people are being confrontational and engaging you like you know, like have good dialogue around it. You know, and I mean and sometimes Absolutely. and sometimes around these things, um, that's not gonna happen. Or sometimes like it happens in the process of it because, you know, like sometimes it has to get ugly before it can get good. Um I'm just, you know, I, I know when it comes to burlesque, it's hard for me not to be disappointed um, in the movement. But I also realize for me personally, that means that um, I'm going to have to, like, you know, engage the scene a little bit more. Because I know that absence, my absence doesn't necessarily, like, help. I know I tried to book you, but you said no. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I've been, um, I mean, I come from a, a theater background. Um, you know, I'm an actor. Um, I'm like I'm a trained actor but you know I've been performing like not performing I'm, I've been working in you know like entertainment and corporate creative um, for a while um, you know with my uh, you know not performing life and um, burlesque for me was a way to not only um, celebrate like being like visible and brown and naked and fat and brown and naked um, but also to like sort of like uphold the legacy of like resistance through these things, you know, and and also just you know my contribution to um, you know a brown performer trying to just be like I mean I think that's something that doesn't happen when you know as a black woman or as a performer of color too, but especially as a black woman, um, you know I'm constantly dealing with the the stereotypes that were put before me, you know, and I just want to make art, but I always have to consider my art making that there's this framework that I'm constantly being compared to. I mean, I think we all deal with it in our certain ways, but I think it's really, really strong as, like, you know, a black woman and a fat black woman um, who's somebody who's not supposed to, like, you know, be seen as sexual or be seen as beautiful and all this other stuff. Um, so I'm interested in, I've been interested in burlesque, you know, for that aspect, but as a performer, um, I find myself, like, pulling back from burlesque um, a little bit because of like what it's shaping up to be as it mainstreams, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I feel like that medium doesn't necessarily contain all the things that I'm interested in doing, even though it has aspects. So I'm more like less interested in defining myself as a burlesque performer, more de de exploring burlesque as a medium. Yeah. 
Um, and that's also why, like, you know, I'm sort of, like, awkward when it comes to being booked because there are certain things that it's not reflective of what I'm trying to do right now. Totally. Um, and I don't know necessarily, like, how to come into those spaces, but I'm still drawn to those spaces, so, like, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't want to create work that I'm not interested in doing. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, you're not the the first one who's been like, hey, where are you? And I'm just like, not here. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's also, you know, as an, as an artist, I mean, that's, that's a totally valid and legitimate part of the artistic process. Yeah. You know, it's like, come in, come out, come in, come out. I mean, you're still part of the, you're still part of the community. Yeah. You know, you're definitely, you know, an acknowledged voice within it. And uh, as an artist, you know, when you, I know when you're ready to, when you get the work that you feel comfortable with that is fully thought through, organized, however you feel best ready for it to be put into a performative context, you know, in front of an audience, then that'll be perfect. Well, you know, I, I was going to perform again um, recently, but that shifted <laughs> because of the, the situation and I made a decision. Um, yeah. And now I'm just looking for another space. And I will be, and there's certain people who are hearing from me now. So hopefully, like, in the next, like, six months to a year, you know, you're going to start seeing more. Um, and I'm looking forward I'm to that. I'm glad to hear that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm slowing, I'm slowing back into it because it's also like, this is something that is, um, not just, it's fun for me, but it's also like part of my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I'm really being intentional about the spaces that I'm walking into now. Whereas before, you know, I wasn't as thoughtful. I was thoughtful, but not as thoughtful as I'm being now about mm -hmm. them and deliberate. And I'm really not interested in, in supporting or upholding anything where people are not giving back. And I think that's really important as a pop performer is like people who are really like trying in some way, um, you know, to be, you know, uh, welcoming in the most reasonable ways possible. You know, and part of that is like, you know, like me being able to get on stage and know that there's not going to be people who are going to like, you know, like be in the audience in clan costumes or, you know, like little things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, because, you know, like stuff like that has happened in, in other spaces, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for when the phenomenon that is Tangerine Jones is ready to get back on stage, how can people keep up with you up until that point and then be uh, able to find out? I am relaunching my um, old as hell website. Amazing. Um, yeah, but it's, so it's still going to be at, you know, tangerinejones.com. Um, I'm going to be um, blogging a lot more about, like, the business end of performing um, because I think that a lot of people um, need to, like, you know, feel better and be educated around that. And also, like, we live in a, the first time forever that we're living without the gatekeeper economy of art making, so I want to encourage more people to be in control of their shit. Mm -hmm. um, so the website, um, Facebook. Uh, is a great place to find me. I'm trying to figure out right now Facebook and Twitter and uh, tangerinejones.com and you can find me all under the handle of Tangerine Jones. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming here today. I'm, Thank I'm you for having me. You know, I'm sorry we like talked about like crazy Don't deep you dare things apologize. Might, you know. Don't you dare apologize. No, it's, I mean, I, again, I mean, just in summation and conclusion, the fact that I, you know, have been feeling uncomfortable and feeling like, oh, my God, have I done something wrong? Like, that's part and parcel of what we're talking about. Right. And I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to feel it. And, you know, and then also go inside. Use that as an invest investigative tool for myself. Right. And be like, all right, well, what's the first thing I'm going to Google next? 
Well, and, and just, you know, be responsible for your own education. Like, you were responsible yeah. for your own enlightenment. And, exactly. you know, I think that that's a good way to start, and then everything else starts to, to fall into place. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. The work that you do, the words that you speak, the energy that you hold down. I thank you. Ditto. And there you have it, folks, my interview with the fabulous Tangerine Jones. It is a lot to take in, a lot to think about, and I am sure that it has stirred up a lot in everybody. It certainly did for me. And again, I want to remind you, if you want to share your thoughts uh, or direct any questions towards myself or Tangerine, please, please, please email us at lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. I will do my best to answer as fully as I possibly can, and I will also happily forward everything along to Tangerine for her input as well. If you would like to check Tangerine out, please go to her website, tangerinejones.com. It is juicy and full of everything that you could ever want to know about this wonderful woman. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Stay tuned for another fabulous episode next week, and I wish you all a fabulous and very satisfying, thought-filled week to come. Lots of love, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. Be good to you. Take care. Want some lunch for your ears? Lunch with legs. Thank you.